we have. That's it. Um, so we're continuing our series in Daniel. This is week three in our Daniel series. And we talked about how King Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon, how he went and attacked the Jews in Jerusalem. And he takes the young and the promising back with him to Babylon. And Daniel and his friends were part of that group. And so now Daniel and his friends are now living under this pagan government. And then in chapter 2, we saw that Nebuchadnezzar had this crazy dream. And Daniel interprets the dream for him. And as a reward, he gets promoted because he has interpreted this dream for the king. Now, several years have passed since Daniel chapter 2. I know whenever you're reading the Bible in your minds, you think sometimes that, you know, Daniel chapter 2 happened on Wednesday and then Daniel 3 happened on Thursday. And that's not really how it plays out sometimes. There's actually quite a bit of a gap between Daniel 2 and Daniel 3. Many, actually, many think that several years have passed since Daniel chapter 2. And um, just to give you some heads up, this is the book of Daniel, but Daniel makes no appearance in chapter 3. It's like he's in the background somewhere, and he's not on the stage. But his three friends come onto the stage as this drama plays out in Daniel 3. So look at Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He, sent it, he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Uh, so we also know that, that, that some time may have passed here because um, we saw at the end of chapter 2 how Nebuchadnezzar is, um, after he has this dream and he acknowledges Daniel's God. Remember last week he ended with like, it was like false worship where he's, he's, he's paying homage to Daniel because Daniel interpreted the dream. And he seems to, you know, kind of submit to Daniel's God. But now he's building a statue to his own gods. And so some think that many years have passed and he's kind of forgotten about the powerful dream and the powerful interpretation. So we see, we talked about this last week, that Nebuchadnezzar experienced religious conviction without spiritual conversion. And we discussed that some last week. And he had this powerful experience, but it didn't last. And it never led to real faith. And I think this is what you and I do. We may have this powerful experience, and you go through a season of conviction. Maybe you resolve to live differently. Um, I think about the ones getting, that, are, that are getting baptized today. Sometimes you hear people tell their stories and say, yeah, I went through a season of conviction, or I want to get close to God, and, and those are good things. But if it doesn't really lead to true faith, it's just kind of living in this, like, I feel convicted about some stuff, and I want to do better. That's not really the same thing as true saving faith. And that's kind of what happens, I think, with King Nebuchadnezzar, is he has this experience with someone that follows God, Daniel and his friends, but it doesn't really, really lead to true faith. And I think you and I can do the same thing. We can have an experience or, or, or a crisis of faith, so to speak. But here's the question for us. What does our life look like in the normal day-to-day? Because if someone's truly following Jesus, it's going to be shown in the everyday and in the normal day-to-day. Not just when there's a crisis or when you're, you're feeling just the pinch of conviction um, in the way that maybe Nebuchadnezzar did back in, the, in chapter 2. So this statue is 90 feet tall and it's 9 feet wide. 
And we don't know if it's an image of the king or if it's meant to be an image of one of his gods, but he sends for all the important people in that area in the land to come and worship this statue. And remember, Daniel and his friends, they've been promoted. They would be included in that group of of important people. Now, in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of a statue, and uh, we, we found out that he was the head of gold. And he might be turning, he might be attempting to turn uh, part of this dream into a reality because Daniel told him that the dream showed that he'd be replaced by an inferior kingdom. So now maybe he's thinking about that dream he had many years ago, and he's saying, you know what, I'm going to build a big statue. And it's going to be maybe in my honor or the honor of one of our gods. And this building of the statue could mean that he's grabbing hold, trying to grab hold of power, saying that no one's going to replace me except on my terms. This could be a statement about that. Now, all these important people gather around on the plain of Dura, it says, to do exactly as the king says. Look down at verse 4, where it says, And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, whenever I I see the list of these instruments, we don't know if these instruments are playing something like an orchestra together. But in my mind, whenever I hear this list of instruments, they sound so just unrelated to one another. Um, I just picture it sounding like a sixth grade band where everyone's just... No offense to sixth grade, but we know you've heard a band that has young kids, and it's like they're trying to play together, and they just can't make it sound right. And that's what I picture in my mind whenever I hear these, these, these instruments listed out. And so it might be they're just making a bunch of noise, and when they hear all the noise, um, they're supposed to bow down and worship this image that he's set up. But we know that music was common for people, we think of music just being what we do here in modern day with worship. But, but music was common for worshiping pag- pagan deities as well. And that's what they're doing. They're using music to worship their pagan deity. And when they, when they hear the music, they're supposed to bow down and worship this image or else they're going to get thrown into a fiery furnace. Now, you might say that sounds like a really harsh consequence, and it is if they don't bow down to this idol. So the question is, why? Why such a harsh consequence for just not bowing down to this this massive idol? I mean, we could say, I mean, can't, couldn't he just make a strong suggestion that they worship this idol he set up? Maybe strongly encourage them to bow down to the idol? Well, you you must understand something about pagan deities and pagan worship. They Ancient people saw the pagan gods as needing to be appeased, that they were just all angry and they need to be appeased by our worship. So if you don't appease those gods, then they may strike you down or they may curse you with your crops, with something else bad may happen to you. And that was the relationship they thought they had with the gods. So if we don't appease our gods, then those gods may bring their wrath down upon us and cause death and destruction among us. 
So Nebuchadnezzar just says, you know what? I'm going to beat the gods to the punch. If you don't bat onto those gods, I'm just going to kill you. And so he decides to use his force and power to force worship with their pagan deities. Now, I want you to see some parallels here with what's happening here in the story and also our lives today. Because all the important people are gathered around together, putting pressure on everyone to conform to do the same thing, to worship this image that the king has set up. And listen, let's bring it into our context today. The same thing happens in our culture today, doesn't it? Where the important people, so the actors, the movie stars, the models, the athletes, they, they gather around and the media and they tell us, this is what you must do. This is the viewpoint you must hold. And if you do not comply, if you do not conform to what we say, well, then we're going to have some drastic consequences for you. Just see the, t- the parallels of what's happening. It may not seem like the same thing because it seems so extreme in the story, but the same thing happens and plays out today in our world and our culture. And you, you hear questions like, you know, all the important people are doing this. All the important people hold this view. What's wrong with you? You must conform, and if you don't, the consequences, the consequences, they might be deadly. So skip down to the next few verses here. I'll summarize the next few verses for you. Daniel 3, 7 to 15, here's a summary of what happens, next part of the story. The people, they hear the music, they obey Nebuchadnezzar, and they, they bow down to this image. And remember the, the Chaldeans from last week, the Chaldeans? Um, they speak up in the story here, and they're, they're like the tattletales in that, I guess, in this story. And they're the ones that go and tell Nebuchadnezzar, they say, look, these people, these Jewish leaders, and their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not worshiping the idol that you set up. And it's, they're probably jealous that these Jews got promoted in the previous story. So Nebuchadnezzar flies into a rage, and he demands that these men are brought before him. And he threatens them and says, look, if you don't worship the idol I've set up, you're going to go into the, into the fiery furnace. I thought of a story, not nearly as extreme, when um, several years ago, we did some mission trips to New York City over in Queens, New York, and we would take our students into this thing called a Sikh temple, S-I-K-H, and it's too much to explain what they believe, but it's not, they're not Muslim, they're not Hindu, Um, I can't explain their full religion to you right now, but it's a Sikh temple. They often get mistaken for being Muslim, even though they're not, and we're just going to go into this place and just understand something about their religion. The people that we work with over in Queens and New York, they're trying to reach this people with the gospel. And so we go into the Sikh temple, and we have what I might call a book of Daniel moment. Because it's kind of awkward, because you walk in, I have a picture, a couple of pictures here. This is when you first walk into their, their worship area, and what they have at the front is this shrine, and they have one of their holy books up there, decorated under this big blanket, and they protect their sacred writings, and um, I have no idea what their writings say or talk about, but there'll be a priest sometimes, um, you know, fanning the, the document up there at the front and, and saying and, 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 and speak, singing things over their document, their precious document, and what they, they, they hold this writing to be so sacred that when you walk into that room, that's a close-up shot there, um, you walk into that room they tell you, please don't ever turn your back on our sacred writings. And so they tell us we have to walk in facing it, and we're never to, like, turn our back on their holy book. And so we're walking through there, and we're like, 
we're trying to balance, okay, respect for them as a people and not step on their toes. But then they say this. Then they say, what we do is we come before our book and we bow down to it. And this is the part where Dave, youth pastor, kicks in. And I'm like, guys, we're not bowing down to any book in here, okay? Just understand that. And so I politely say, hey, um, I'm sorry, but, yeah, we really can't, we can't do that. We, we see that as worship, and we're not going to worship your book, even though you think that it's sacred. And they've always been, okay, that's fine. No, don't worry. But they show us what they do, and they bow down and put their head on the floor in front of this book, their sacred writing. They even have these beds upstairs where they put their books to bed because they see their books as like a god. And they see it as so sacred that it must rest. And it must, so they have different copies. And they take us upstairs and they show us, I was like, is that like a dead body? I mean, we are in New York City, you never know. And, um, but it's, it's the books under the covers. They tuck their books in at night, all right? And, but they see them as so sacred. They see them almost like a person or like a god. And this is the homage that they pay their sacred writings. And so for us, we're like, yeah, we, we, can't, we can't bow down to your sacred writings. We can't, we can't do that in good conscience. But you know where I got convicted when I have gone there a few times to this, this Sikh temple? Is that they give their sacred writings, which I believe are false, a lot more reverence and a lot more respect than we give our word of God that we believe is true. And I find that convicting. And I find it, we can be so casual about how we approach the word of God, and yet they give their false writings this great respect and this great reverence. And I find that a point of conviction in my own life. And listen, you may not find yourself in situations like this, like we see in the book of Daniel, where you must bow down to this thing, or we're going to punish you with death. But listen, you will face being an outcast. You will face being canceled. You will face being ostracized and persecuted for your faith at some point in your life if you stand up for what you believe in and what you hold to be true. Skip down to verse 16, where it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So they're being threatened with death if they don't bow down. And they seem pretty chill about that. When you look at the story, the way it's written, they seem like, yeah, we're not going to do that, what you want us to do. And our God has the power to rescue us in the fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to your, your stupid little image that you've set up. They seem pretty casual about, you know, what may happen to them if they don't bow down. And I think it's really important to, to focus in on this little phrase, but if not. Because even if God doesn't come through in the way that we desire and want, we will still worship him, and we will never bow down to your image. What a faith, what a picture of faith for us to look at. 
You might say it like this. Faith does not mean that we either know or understand what his specific purpose in our lives may be. It means a ready willingness to follow him, whatever his purpose. So do you, do you and I have this kind of faith in our lives where, yeah, we would want God to deliver us in a tough situation like this, but we would still say, but if not, may his will be done. And I'm willing to suffer and be persecuted for the sake of the gospel. You know, some people, they bail on God when they don't understand why God allows something to happen to them. That's not really faith, though. You see, true faith is being willing to follow him even when you don't fully understand why God is doing what he's doing, why he's allowing what he's allowing in our lives. And then last week we showed how Nebuchadnezzar, you know, bowed down to Daniel because Daniel's God seemed to come through for him with the the dream interpretation. But that worship was shown to be false. On the other hand, I think we reject God sometimes because he doesn't seem to come through for us from our perspective. I think that reveals that we aren't truly worshiping him. It's really a false kind of worship. So we're going to summarize again uh, verses 19 to 23, where basically what happens is Nebuchadnezzar gets so angry at these men, he orders the furnace heated seven times greater than before, and he orders his mighty men to, to bind up these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and throw them into the furnace. And it's so hot that it kills the soldiers as they're attempting to throw these men into the flames. We're going to run through 24 to 30, so follow with me on this. Look at verse 24 where it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, had, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies, rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So the king looks into the fiery furnace. He sees this fourth person. And many believe this is an appearance of Jesus. I actually believe that as well. Some believe it's maybe an angel. But I believe it's, it's Jesus, the Son of God. And we know they're being protected, though, in this fiery furnace. And the king calls them to come out of the fire. And he notices they're not, they're not burned. They're not even singed. Like, you know, whenever you're close to a campfire, if you're even in the, in the proximity of that, you're going to smell like smoke. But they don't even smell like smoke at all. They're, they're, they've been protected even from the smell of the smoke. And the king has a similar reaction. If you look at his reaction from chapter 2 and in, in this chapter, chapter 3, it's a similar reaction, a similar response, because he pays homage to these men, but then he sets up a similar system and says, okay, 
if you, if you don't, if you speak bad of their God, I'm still going to kill you. It's like he's still doing this whole authoritative, totalitarian thing of I'm going to use my force and my will to accomplish what I want to have happen in my kingdom. So what do we learn here from this little story? Well, I think we can look at the nation of Israel and acknowledge that the temptation to worship idols would not be an isolated thing for Israel. We see all throughout their history, they fought a temptation all the time as a nation to worship idols that are around them in their cultures. And they're surrounded by nations that would tempt them in this way. And it may not, look, it may not always look like this kind of punishment if they don't comply, but sometimes the temptation to just simply advance themselves as an individual or as a person or as a nation um, can be very alluring, and that was for the Israelites, and it is for us today in our culture as well. I think we're tempted in similar ways. may not be tempted to worship a statue outright, but we are tempted towards idolatry. There's no question about that. According to Romans chapter 1, you and I commit adultery anytime we allow what is created to rise to the level of the creator. So it may not be a statue, but our functional God is the thing or the person that we are most concerned about, think about the most, and affect our life the most. Ask yourself this question. What is the first thing that I think about when I wake up in the morning? What dominates your thinking? There's a good chance that it's somehow connected to idolatry and how that that thing or that person has control over your life. Another way to say this is who or what is on the throne of your life. If it's not God, then it's an idol. You know, we are wired for worship, and if we don't worship the creator, we're going to worship his creation. We we can't avoid that. If we're not worshiping God, we're going to fall for his creation. So how might you and I struggle with this? Well, I think some idols are more obvious than others. Um, It may be pleasure in all of its forms. It may be seeking revenge on someone who may have hurt you. It may be power, control, gaining influence over certain people. We could even turn ministry, good things, into an idol. This may be the most dangerous type because we think that we have great motives and we're noble as we pursue those things. That can also become an idol if it's not done with the right heart. So we learn some things from these three men that we must be willing to resist idolatry even to the point of death. These men even seem casual about going into the fire. Remember it says, but if not, but they're not casual about, about idolatry and worshiping idols. They're willing to suffer and die to keep from idolatry. Now you might look at yourself and think, you know, I could never hold up under that kind of pressure, social pressure. I'm encouraged by Hebrews chapter 4, 16, where it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Earlier in that little section, it talks about how Jesus was tempted yet without sin. He was tempted just as we are yet without sin. And if this is Jesus standing with them in this fire, we know that he goes before us. He is tempted as we are but without sin. And God promises to give us grace in our time of need, and he gives it in his way and in his time. These three men did not know how God's grace would show up when they were thrown into the fire. Would it be the grace of deliverance, or would it be the grace to die for the glory of God? They didn't know, but they were willing to go 
whatever route God would have them go. Only in the moment of that trial would it become clear how God would prove faithful. Now, I want you to zoom out for just a moment, and I want you to see the big picture, because in the opening of our story, it says Nebuchadnezzar commands, it says all the people, all the nations, and the language are, are to worship this image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But by the end, he says, any people, nation, language who speaks against their God, the true God, will be put to death. And it reminds me of Paul's words in Philippians chapter 2. Because Nebuchadnezzar wants the whole world gathered around worshiping this image that he has set up. And it reminds me of another scene described in Philippians chapter 2, where it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So do our lives reflect that? There will be a day when that verse is true for everyone, but it can be true for you today in the here and now. We, we're either going to bow before him in humility or in humiliation. So which one will it be for you? You guys are going to go to your breakouts. And uh, so if you're new here, 